0: As you know, we have kicked off the good journey. We are in a month of preparing for the journey. We have bought books. We're reading our Bibles, memorizing scripture, writing in our journals, and joining Life Together groups. Pastor Steve has been preaching on getting started, on what to pack, and what not to pack. And and today, our scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke is going to help us determine the essentials for the journey. So if you'd like to join in in your Bible, open up to Luke 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on, your own, go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, Your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts and our minds, O God, to the word just read and the words to come, that they might point us to you, our rock and redeemer, our prince of peace. Amen. As a retired Girl Scout leader, And a mother for nearly 27 years now, who probably takes a little too much pride in being overly prepared, this passage grabbed my attention. Jesus says, You're going on an important trip to bring the kingdom of God to lots and lots of people. You will lead with peace and heal the sick. Oh, and don't worry about packing. Now go grab a buddy. I love that part about going in pairs. We all know that ministry and life is way more fun and so much better with a good partner. When one falters, the other can help. When one is lost, the other can find the way. When one is discouraged, the other can hold faith for them both for a while. It's like that couple who had been married for 51 years. The husband was now dying, going in and out of a coma. One day, he woke up, and he reached out for his wife to hold her close. As she sat next to him, he began to whisper his remembrances. You've been right there beside me through all of the rough times. You were there when I got fired. You were there when my business failed. You were there when we lost the house. And you've been right here by my side as my health has failed and I lay dying. He took a deep breath, you know what, and she wiped a tear from her, ha- from her eye, and she said, what, my love? He said, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> As the partners get ready to embark on their meaningful journey, Jesus gives them some unexpected news that sounds like a joke. They are to go without their purse, their bag, or their sandals. Can you remember the last time you went barefoot? It is very hard to make a good impression when one sharp rock the size of a BB can make you hobble in pain. Or how about those little burrs out at the beach? Those stickers will keep you limping for a fat minute. I watched a couple of athletic high school students crumble to their knees trying to rock hop barefoot in the creek behind our house at Montreat. I think those sharp rocks even drew blood. At any rate, it is hard to imagine traveling for miles and miles without shoes. I was curious about this act of being barefoot in the Bible. Of the 10 or so verses that I read, I learned that one was barefoot because he was just taken captive and was now a prisoner stripped of all dignity, including clothes and shoes. Or he was weeping and lamenting, barefoot and covered in sackcloth and ashes. Or he was standing on holy ground like Moses and Joshua. So the barefoot 70 are sent out into a dangerous world with no money or supplies. And how do we know it's dangerous? Because Jesus said, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. I'm not sure what your impression is of a wolf today, but to the ancient, the wolf was an aggressively greedy animal, tending to be easily angered, deceitful, bold, and violent. People of this type are crafty, showing no respect or reverence for God, bloodthirsty, quick to anger, vicious to the extent that they refuse what is given or offered them, but steal what is not given. Of course, lambs are cute and vulnerable. So pause right there. To put this into perspective for us today, who are the wolves in your world? I struggle with the wolves who use their money and power to do whatever they feel in their entitled life, regardless of the people they hurt along the way. I struggle with the wolves in social media who seem to hide behind a brick wall, pull the pin, and throw the grenade on the other side. I struggle with the fear brought on by the wolves who become active shooters in our schools, our synagogues, our festivals, and our churches. And how about you? Do you struggle with some of those same kinds of wolves? Maybe yours are different. But I think the response from Jesus is the same. The chosen are sent out into the world of wolves with no purse, no bag, and no sandals. Perhaps the 70 are standing on holy ground as they learn about faithful dependence. Think about it. No money, no supplies, no shoes, and importantly, no guarantees about how they will be received all they have is the promise of Jesus to go with them, to do great things through them, and to bring them back home. Jesus gives them two essential things for their journey with his presence, a power to eat, heal, and a non judgmental posture of peace. Did you notice how the 70 are to lead with peace as they enter a home? They say, Peace to this house. In Bible times, offering peace was like giving a blessing to the people of the home. St. Francis of Assisi often used the Latin phrase, pax et bonum, peace and all good be with you. This is relatively easy for the places where we are welcomed and fed and given shelter. But we seem to encounter more and more inhospitable wolves in our world people who hurt us or offend us, people who seem to be marinating in hate. Frederick Bachman, who wrote the delightful book A Man Called Ave, also wrote another novel I enjoyed called Beartown. Beartown is about a small community deep in the forest that is in turmoil because of a violent act by a star hockey player that leaves a young girl traumatized. Bachman writes, Hate can be a deeply stimulating emotion. The world becomes much easier to understand and much less terrifying if you divide everything and everyone into friends and enemies, we and they, good and evil. The easiest way to unite a group isn't through love, because love is hard, it makes demands. Hate is simple. Richard Rohr writes extensively about the dualistic mind, this either-or thinking. Rohr says, non-dual consciousness, which Jesus modeled and exemplified, is about receiving and being present to the moment, to the now, without judgment, analysis, or critique, without your ego deciding whether you like it or not. It's like Jesus sending the 70 with this directive, see everything, judge little, forgive much. And just to illustrate how easily we put people into categories, I recently read an interesting article about skin color in Europe. When most people worked outdoors, suntanned skin was disdained as the mark of a low-class laborer. Light skin was prized as a mark of wealth. Only the rich could afford to protect their skin by remaining indoors or by carrying a parasol. Later, when jobs migrated to factories and offices, lighter skin became common and vulgar. Only the wealthy could afford to lay around soaking in the sun, so one could easily and quickly tell who was in and who was out. We'll notice that Jesus does not tell the 70 to do any sort of assessment before making this proclamation of peace and blessing. He doesn't ask them to determine whether this house follows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or whether this house has kept the law, or whether this house is likely to receive the good news Jesus brings. Jesus doesn't ask them to do a risk assessment or prejudge whether this house will be worth their time. Just offer the peace. As we travel on our journey and as we engage others, we must first be well grounded in God's peace, the peace that passes understanding. God's shalom is much more than being calm. It is confidence in God's abiding presence so that we also share that presence with others. Engaging others means not treating them as objects upon which we act but as sacred others with whom we are called to be fully and peacefully present. Which is all good, but what if the wolf answers the door? Jesus reminds us we don't lose anything in having an open and gracious spirit. If we give our peace, and blessing and they refuse it, it's returned to us. No harm, no foul. In fact, in the previous chapter of Luke, in another story, Jesus reveals and embodies our nonviolent God, whose sun shines on the good and the evil alike. In Luke nine fifty one, the messengers went ahead of Jesus, looking for a place to stay. The Samaritans refused to offer hospitality James and John were outraged, and they responded in a way that I might have reacted as well, saying, Lord, do you want us to command fire and incinerate them? And Jesus said, of course not. Of course not. And they moved on to another village. Well, Jesus is a bit more explicit in our passage today. If the people refuse our blessing, here's what you do. Well, Taylor Swift will tell us what to do. Yes, shake it off. Shake off the dust and move on. Don't carry it with you. Don't build sandcastles of rejection in your heart. Don't be paralyzed with trying to figure out what you did wrong or what you could have done differently to produce a different result. We are not in charge of how people respond. Instead, Jesus invites us to continue moving forward to the next place with a message of peace. And you may wonder, especially in today's climate, how do I continue on with a message of peace in the midst of so many wolves that scare, anger, and provoke me. Well, it's hard, which is why we aren't supposed to go it alone. And I think we need to do our best to hope and trust in God to do what only God can do, and that is to transform lives. It reminds me of the kind of hope that Roger Ebert had, Do you remember Roger Ebert? He was a popular film critic with Siskel and Ebert that ran from 86 to 99. Ebert had watched and reviewed some 10,000 movies. And it might be easy to think, like many of us do from time to time, that all the best is behind us, the best movies, the best music. But Roger Ebert was always looking ahead. He was always excited when he walked into the screening room and the lights went down. He always had the hope or the expectation of seeing something that he hadn't seen before. And he kept that kind of faith right up until the end. Roger Ebert exemplified a kind of openness and love of movies that I think Jesus is calling us to do with people If you're like me, you may wonder from time to time why you should keep trying to do the hard work of leading with non-judgmental peace. In my most honest moments, my ego sometimes whines. What's in it for me? Well, I think the answer ties back to our memory verse for this month. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus invites us on a journey where we need nothing more than openness in our heart and peace on our lips. And somehow through all, all of the encounters, experiences, and relationships, we get a taste of the abundant life. A glimpse of this life is shown in a sweet children's book called Big Wolf, Little Wolf by Nadine Brun Cosme. In it, we meet a big wolf who is insecure and living alone by a tree on a hill that he has claimed for himself. As a little wolf walks toward him, big wolf shows his insecurity in a way that many of us do, with a hostile response to the unfamiliar. At first, the two wolves observe one another silently out of the corner of their eyes. But soon, big wolf's fear cools by the smallness and timidity, and openness of his visitor. Big Wolf begins to regard Little Wolf with unsuspicious curiosity that slowly warms into cautious affection. Now hear these words from the book. Night came, Little Wolf stayed. Big Wolf thought that Little Wolf went a little bit too far. After all, it had always been his tree. When Big Wolf went to bed, Little Wolf went to bed too. When Big Wolf saw that Little Wolf was shivering at the tip of his nose, he pushed a teeny tiny corner of his leaf blanket toward him. This is certainly enough for such a small Little Wolf, he thought. They spent the whole next day together and something warm and generous and lovely begins to flow between them. Big Wolf goes for his evening walk, but when he returns, Little Wolf is gone. And listen to what happens next. That evening, for the first time, Big Wolf didn't eat. That night, for the first time, Big Wolf didn't sleep. He waited. For the first time, he said to himself that a little one, indeed, a very little one, had taken up space in his heart. A lot of space. That is the taste of an abundant life and it starts with a non-judgmental posture of peace.